Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Still a little bit hungover from the previous ep, Ben. (laughs) Adam, the cat is kind of out of the bag on our new show. Oh, yeah, that cat. Wildcat was written in a kind of obsolete vernacular. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks, John. Yeah, uh, we got the, uh, I mean, I think uh, this is going to come out well after John Roderick blabbed to Dan Benjamin on Roadwork about it. I think one thing we've learned about John is that he wouldn't hold up under harsh interrogation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the other thing is that, like, I don't think we actually ever had a an agreement to keep it mum or anything. It just sort of had had been my assumption. Yeah, there was no embargo on on the news, though uh, in our way, I think our plan was to do a ton of work behind the scenes <laughs> and then launch the thing in a fully developed and, and great way. Yeah. An intentional way. Right. Well, that's gone out the window, so let's do it this way instead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I am. I'm really excited about this new show, Ben. Tell the people what it's called. It's called Friendly Fire. It is a war movie podcast, and uh, and it has three hosts and not two. Uh, I'm one of them. You're one of them, and the third is John Roderick. John Roderick, of course, uh, maybe best known for his work as a musician. He was the front man, sort of still is the front man of the Long Winters, and. He's played with a lot of great bands, but uh, he also is a, a veteran podcaster. He's been casting pod for a lot longer than either of us. Yeah, he's he's a veteran of the pod wars. He has an amazing, amazingly strong belief in the existence of podcasts, given the fact that he's never listened to a podcast, which is an amazing fact. Would you ever put so much work into so many projects and never experienced their realization? That is such a bizarre thing. Yeah, he's a real weirdo. Why are we working with this guy? <laughs> God, I don't know. Well, John, uh, the, I, the the main reason we're working with him is he's really funny and has a very deep and broad knowledge of world history and uh, can like culturally contextualize uh, old war movies in a way that I don't think either of us uh, would be as good at. And right. so we make it a make it a fart joke, and he. <laughs> Uh, you know, says smart and funny things about the movies also, but from a very different perspective. I think it's a good mix of both. The dick and fart jokes that you enjoy from a Greatest Gen branded property and uh, maybe a little world history knowledge sprinkled in. (laughs) Yeah, it might might be sort of like uh, like if, if Greatest Gen is oops all berries, then, uh, then... Friendly Fire is like Cap and Crunch with Crunch Berries. If a Ken Burns documentary had like a fart track, <laughs> that's what Friendly Fire is. Yeah. Never forget how much I loved you, nor that when my last breath escapes me on the battlefield, 
it will whisper your name. Uh, so that's coming early in 2018. And uh, if uh, if everything goes great, it's going to be a, a new Max Fun podcast, and we're really excited about it. Yeah, we hope it's a it's a great big hit. So look out for that. Adam, uh, do you want to get into the episode we came here to talk about today? Yeah, much like uh, news of a podcast appearing from nowhere, so too does Q arrive on our fair station. It's season one, episode six, Q-less. Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. And it's the return of Vash, Ben. The return. The inevitable return of Vash. Didn't uh, know how much I missed her. <laughs> I saw her again. The episode opens with Bashir putting the moves on a lovely young Bajoran girl. And what's going on here seems pretty pervy, doesn't it? Well, uh, Chief O'Brien creepily sits at the next table. I guess, like, I mean, like, Bashir and O'Brien go on to have a friendship, but at this point, I think O'Brien just thinks Bashir is a total asswipe. <laughs> this scene gets a whole lot darker if you consider that the whole reason O'Brien is there is to protect the Bajoran <laughs> from something fucked up from happening. Or, or what if the Bajoran is, like, really excited and nervous to talk to Bashir and she has O'Brien whispering things to say to him in her ear? Like in a Roxanne kind of way? <laughs> yes, it, that's the thing that invented that idea. You always reject my <laughs> Roxanne references, man. I'm just saying, don't uh, don't don't forget that Cyrano de Bergerac is canonical Trek. We saw Barkley dressed up as him. <sighs> <laughs> you know what? With every scene that we get in the Deep Space Nine lunchroom... The more I'm convinced that there's maybe 14 people that live on the station. That lunchroom seems too small. Why are people sitting so close together? Yeah. I think I've read that the station has like a 4,000 person capacity. Like it's way bigger than the entrepreneur. You know, if the entrepreneur can dock at it and they can also have a bunch of other starships docked also. There must be whole parts of it that are just a ghost town. And I wish this show explored those parts of it a little more. Right. Like, do they have, like, sections of the of the habitat ring that are off limits because there aren't people there and it'd be too dangerous to, like... Do they ever, like, catch Jake, like, sneaking into the no-man's land and getting in trouble for going through, like, junk that the Cardassians left behind? If I were a kid, that is the first place I would go. Have you ever been to an airport with a totally closed down terminal? No. It's creepy as hell because there's so much life teeming around it. And then there's like most airport terminals, a super, super long hallway that you can't even see the end of. (laughs) That's just empty and roped off. And I would love to see a little bit of that on the station just to get a sense of its size because... Most of the exteriors we're seeing we're seeing of the station right now uh, don't have ships docked outside, and so our sense of its scale, I think, is diminished. Yeah. Well, uh, 
O'Brien and Bashir uh, both get called away. Dr. Bashir, Chief O'Brien, report to landing pad five. Which is a huge relief to O'Brien, probably the Bajoran girl, but crushing to Bashir. Bad timing. Bashir's just in a constant state of hypo spraying the blue out of his balls. (laughs) (laughs) We get to an airlock where a runabout has docked and they can't get the door open. Uh, In this episode, Adam transporters don't exist so this is a big problem (laughs) and also the whole manual latch system like i guess that's a thing that exists on the station but does not exist on a runabout yeah it feels like there should be a a latch from the inside because it's not like they've lost consciousness inside the runabout they're just sort of waiting and running out of air they're they're definitely not like in great shape in there but it takes O'Brien like strapping a car battery to the to the door mechanism to get them out, and the doors open and they run in and Dax is there and uh, some other doctor is there and then uh, and then Vash is there, and uh, O'Brien immediately recognizes her. I guess he kept up on the like local gossip <laughs> when he was stationed on the Enterprise. Yeah, how could you not? Everyone had a subscription to the. Us magazine of the entrepreneur. Yeah, the page six of the entrepreneur. Captain Picard, he's just like us. (laughs) He goes out on dates. (laughs) He gets tea. Captain Picard spotted eating a chocolate croissant. Pretty saucy, (laughs) Cap. (laughs) So that's uh, that's our dramatic reveal, but not dramatic enough because they all walk off the ship and uh, there's a Starfleet there looking at the at the battery that O'Brien plugged in. And the camera pans down to the Starfleet, and he turns around, and it is Q. Yeah, and it seems like they walk away without noticing that he's there. So, uh, and and I would say that uh, perhaps John Delancey's performance in this is a perfect encapsulation of uh, his presence in the episode and the episode's existence entirely, which is, the look on his face is kind of like, why am I here? Oh, how dare you. (laughs) This episode is an opportunity for John Delancey to take over this brand new Star Trek show, and I think he does, capably. I feel like Nana Visitor is looking at John Delancey and she's going, finally. (laughs) Someone who is my equal. Yeah, certainly Cisco never acts big. So... Vash is sort of an instant celebrity as someone who has been in the Gamma Quadrant for years, it turns out. She's come back with like a dirty mail sack full of trinkets that she's gotten there. And this is the beginning of a development that I don't quite understand, which is if the Federation is so excited about the things in the Gamma Quadrant... Why aren't they doing more than sending a runabout every once in a while through the wormhole to explore it? They're like, oh, Vash, your adventures must be so amazing. You, you've got to submit to an interview. You got to write a book that we can read. You got to tell us all about it because clearly we don't care enough about what's inside the wormhole to send in like an exploratory vessel ourselves. <laughs> the wormhole has been open for uh, six weeks now. <laughs> yeah. And the Bajorans were at great pains to lay claim to the to the wormhole. The Federation is uh, all about shoring up the Bajorans' claim to the wormhole. Nobody seems to have actually 
ventured through, or at least from what we've seen. I, I don't understand it at all. For a federation whose founding principle is exploration, the idea of just sitting there next to the wormhole, not really doing much about going in, is insane to me. Listen, we've got three conversion vans. We'll send them through for like a few hours at a time every couple of weeks. Vash doesn't seem to be super interested in the idea of her own celebrity. She is downplaying, if not completely obfuscating, her adventures there. Uh, she seems mainly interested in, like, the protection of the trinkets that she's got. Yeah. And she does that by sort of going into the station's safe deposit box room and and talking to the banker there. This is sort of like an interesting world within the world to me. I love this banker scene. I love the banker scene, too, because they're doing, like, an audit of all of her things, except, like, the very last item is... Some kind of... Promethean quartz inside a box. The banker has been great about cataloging every item, but he does not catalog this one. He's like, I've never seen anything quite like it. And he sort of shrugs his shoulders and then bank helper sticks the thing in the safe deposit box without accounting for it at all. Yeah. What the hell, Vash? And inventory. It seems like she should be more protective of this thing that is obviously the MacGuffin. Right. It's 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 fun to catch up with her though, right? Cuz like the last time we saw her, she was like make cutting a deal with Q to like go go steal artifacts all over the universe. And uh it's fun to see that paid off. Like, oh yeah, like here she is with a bunch of cool artifacts that she would never have gotten had it not been for Q. Intermittently, Q just sort of pops into her periphery and is like clearly they've had a falling out. She doesn't want to be around him or go adventuring with him anymore. And he, for some reason, is very interested in maintaining the relationship. There's something about her that is interesting to Q in a way that that can't be satiated in any other way. I find it interesting that O'Brien is aware of Vash, but not aware of her relationship with Q. Is it Cisco that asks O'Brien, like, what Vash's deal was? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they uh, like Cisco is immediately suspicious of her because, right. as far as anybody else knew, this wormhole opened up six weeks ago, and she's claiming to have been in the in the Gamma Quadrant for two years. And so he's like, "Let's look into this," because I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't want to be told I'm Christopher Columbus and she's fucking Leif Erikson or whatever. <laughs> Cisco has got to be incredibly frustrated because... Don't email me that Christopher Columbus was a monster. I'm aware of that. (laughs) Cisco knows that there's no chance that they'll ever do the amount of research that Vash has been able to do. So he's fairly irritated that Vash has made plans to leave the next day. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and uh, like he's, uh, he's very interested in stalling her. Um, and, uh, and further, he's interested in getting her to go do Daystrom Institute with her artifacts so that they can be studied properly. Like he kind of has a similar motive to Picard in this way. Like there's a bunch of scientific interest in the, in the stuff that she knows and has brought back. And, uh, he'd like to see, he'd like to see that stuff 
you know, hit the museum before it hits the uh, the gray market. Cisco has to know that Vash is also an a pariah in the scientific community. I mean, he does. Yeah, he had, he he talks about the fact that she's been selling. She's got a, a bad rep. Well, when it comes to choosing between science and profit, I'll choose profit every time. The Daystrom Institute basically wants to use her for her trinkets. Yeah, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Daystrom Institute would rather not have a relationship with her. But if it's between that and everything showing up on Electronic Bay. Yeah, I mean, clearly the Daystrom Institute doesn't have the resources to send any ships into the Gamma Quadrant. <laughs> so they'll take what they can get. I mean, they're no Vulcan expeditionary force, right? This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. Not entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. Along the way, we we get little breadcrumbs about how much O'Brien seems to know about Vash and her relationship with Captain Picard. Vash and... Captain Picard were friends. Close friends, if you follow my meaning. Like, Vash asks O'Brien how Picard is, just in a, you know, in that way where when you run into the friend of an ex, you sort of politely, you know, make conversation about the ex while clearly not really caring (laughs) about the answer to the question. Uh I feel like that's what Vash is doing by asking about Picard. I I feel like she gives no shits about him. Yeah, I mean, they don't have like a sports team in common, so this is all they have to talk about. O'Brien says something about Vash and the captain. The captain likes a good challenge, sir. As if he has any idea of what sort of woman the captain likes. (laughs) I thought that was way talking out of his ass. Yeah. Um, I mean, O'Brien didn't even have a relationship enough with the captain to say goodbye to him before he left the ship. Yeah, the captain had to had to be the one to do that. So right, weird, weird that he would go out on that limb. I guess there was that scene before Picard beamed him over to Deep Space Nine, where he told O'Brien all about uh, what sort of women he likes. <laughs> in case this comes up in conversation, Miles. <laughs> <laughs> Can I call you Miles? <laughs> Uh, speaking of challenges, Adam, O'Brien has a big one on his hands. There have been these graviton surges that keep causing power outages. Uh, they experienced one on the runabout, uh, which is why the door was stuck. Uh, but now they're happening on the station. And like over the course of the episode, more and more, they'll be like up in ops and all the computer screens will blink out. And, uh... (laughs) I think my favorite part is uh, is Kira, like, really laying into O'Brien, like... You know, if we have one of these outages during a docking procedure, we could lose an entire pylon. You need to get this shit fixed. This has really become a show about how far everyone is inside O'Brien's ass about every <laughs> single problem on the station. I've double-checked every system. For the first time in a month, there's nothing wrong with any of them. And and he's really stumped by this, because, like, every time everything is in place and it's uh, it, it's not broken, so he can't... Can you imagine what kind of sick shit O'Brien's into on the suites? given <laughs> what his work life is like and what his home life is like? Yeah. Like, what is his escape? Just choking things. <laughs> choking everything. <laughs> his... His programs are way more violent than, uh, they're more violent than Worf and more sexual than Riker. <laughs> He's just fucking necks. 
god. <laughs> uh, the other character that's real interested in Vash uh, is is Quark, and I think uh, Vash had like a had like a Ferengi buddy when we first met her. So she kind of she's kind of the human that is she's like kind of a human Ferengi in a human body in a lot of ways, and and so. Mm. Quirk sees a kindred spirit in her and uh, proposes a business transaction where he will broker a an auction of all of her valuable crapola that she's brought back from uh, the other side of the wormhole, and he'll take a cut. 50-50. Mr. Quirk, I believe you're trying to take advantage of me. And they have a very uh, gross erotic scene where she massages his ears while she uh she works him down on the percentage split have we seen ear diddling before i feel like they maybe did it with luwaxana at some point right yeah i do remember that this feels like like this feels way more masturbatory it feels like that and also feels like they have made a very emphatic choice to make that a canonical ferengi thing which it could have just been left on the trash heap of T- TNT, you know. She like basically takes him to the ground by his ears. <laughs> I wonder if uh, if they work in the same way as like if she were to twist them, would that be like the most painful thing to visit upon a Ferengi? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Like it's like taking one in the balls. Have we ever seen a Ferengi with one ear? Because <laughs> it seems like if you were to get into a fight with a Ferengi, like ripping off one of its ears would be would be the most rugged thing to do to him. Give me that one-eared Ferengi. Yeah. You don't want to get in a fight with Mike Tyson if you're a Ferengi. No. Um, that's, a, that's a lot of good meat there. <laughs> Q kind of wins me over uh, once, once her business... Uh, dealings with uh, with Corker up and running. Uh, he really resents this, and he even goes so far as to call Quark a little troll. <laughs> I was like, yeah, right on, Q. That's what it took to <laughs> win you over? Finally. <laughs> Finally, I'm pro-Q. That's great. Q is definitely the jealous boyfriend in this, right? Like, he's doing everything he can to get other men away from his lady, and... Uh, the way he deals with Dr. Bashir is by making him very sleepy. Bashir seems to be a sexual weapon without a target. He, he's taking on all comers. He, <laughs> he sets his sights on Vash immediately and hits on her in that way that, uh, that is generally frowned upon in the medical community uh, <laughs> during an examination. No sign of disease or malnutrition or parasitic infections. You sound disappointed. I am. Now I have no reason to keep you here. Not great. Yeah. Like, the way Bashir talks to women is unacceptable, right? (laughs) I mean, the thing about the complaint against Quark is that it was, like, stipulated in a contract that is tangible. But But we are six episodes into this show, and... The evidence is mounting against Bashir <laughs> in a fairly negative way. Yeah, not good. Not great, Bashir. Um, 
Well, the, uh, as as Bashir gets sent off uh, with a bad case of the sleepies, oh, God. the camera pans back and uh, we reveal O'Brien noticing the presence of Q, but Q not noticing the presence of O'Brien, uh, despite the fact that he's kind of looking right at him. Uh, so O'Brien radios up to Cisco and uh, says that Q is on the station. And I guess as a commander... Uh, Cisco has been made aware of the existence of Q. I love this story within the story. Like, I like, I wanted to know more, though, about how the Federation shares news about stuff like this. Yeah, he describes a briefing, which sounds really interesting. Like, a, like there's a PowerPoint with, with different, like, speculative uh, <laughs> stats on Q. Can change the gravitational constant of the universe at a thought. (laughs) Can turn boys into full-grown men. Mischievous. Who gives that PowerPoint? (laughs) It's got to be Picard, right? Maybe. I mean, I feel like I don't get the sense that he's a slide reader, which is good. Right. He's he's not he's not saying the thing that's on the slide. He's saying something that that uh, augments the information on the slide. Except we've seen Picard give presentations, like that one presentation he had to give about archaeology, and he <laughs> was, remember when he was just fucking boring as hell? Yeah. So maybe he's not the right guy for this. That was also a Q episode. That was the one where Vash came back. That's right. Man. It turns out boring PowerPoint presentations <laughs> are a main through line to the Q stories. <laughs> it's in the show Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would, there must be a show Bible for DS9. I've never seen one before. Is there a show Bible entry for Q? Uh, in you mean I, in the uh, in the TNG one? Yeah, I mean I imagine there have to be rules that govern his usage. Even though like he is all powerful and all knowing, like how do you put a fence around a character like that? I imagine they there has to be a chapter. Pages on the Borgs, the Klingons, the Romulans. No. No Q entry, as far as I can tell. Yeah, why would they? <laughs> <laughs> He's only the deus ex machina incarnate. Yeah. So Cisco is now aware of Q and goes down to Quark's bar to try and, you know, shake the trees. She, he's like asking Fash where he is and what's going on. Q reveals himself and they get in a uh, little uh, old-timey boxing match where Cisco punches Q in the face a bunch of times. Come on! Isn't this all wonderfully barbaric? Go on, take a poke at me. I know that's what you really want to do. And, um... I feel like this is just just a scene that is like, what would Picard not do? Picard never hit me. I'm not Picard. So let's let's do that. Yeah, it's a scene that exists to underscore Cisco and Picard's differences. Because it's not like punching Q is going to hurt him, you know? If there are no stakes to the fight other than the proof that Cisco and Picard are different people, then... You don't need to have the fight to prove that. <laughs> like, what would have happened if Q broke Cisco's neck, and then and then once the scene was over, like fixed him back into normal? Like, to me, 
Q chooses not to be the threat to Cisco that he that he proves himself to be to Picard. And I don't understand the reason for that choice. Like Q's essential dangerousness is is not really pronounced here. Yeah. I mean by throwing the fight especially. Right. In TNG, Q is letting like thrown spears go through Wesley's belly and shit, you know? Yeah. The- yeah, there seem to be real stakes. And maybe it's because there is a there's because Q is fighting for a relationship versus the idea of proving some point. Like what is Q I I feel like they never really establish what Q gets out of the relationship though. There's no way Q's crushing that puss, right? <laughs> I mean, maybe, but like why, you know? If he's a being of pure energy that's all-powerful and all-knowing, like... What does he need with joys of the flesh? Right. I mean, I feel like he's made fun of joys of the flesh before. You know what? That's the core of the problem of this episode, is because we are left wondering what the attachment is between them. And not in a... Not in a way that, you know, makes you wanting more. Not in a, like, Ross and Rachel, will they, won't they? Or, like, Picard <laughs> and Beverly, when are they ever going to kind of way. Just in a, no, we're just not going to tell you what their possible connection might be. Right. Even though any sort of connection would have been more interesting than the lack of one that we get here. What if Q's interest in Vash was purely motivated by, uh, by getting at Picard? Like, in a way that he has not been able to rattle him before. Hmm. Like, that seems interesting to me. Yeah. If if the idea of winning Vash's heart is doing it at Picard, Uh that's fascinating to me. Totally. Like, because what's the one way Q has not been able to hurt Picard? It's like on that kind of emotional level. So so you're saying that this episode was written for the wrong series? Yeah, I kind of think so. (laughs) I don't I don't know that I disagree. I think that this would have been much more interesting set on the Enterprise like a, you know, a year and a half after we lost last saw Vash. Like right. she comes back and is like, "Picard, please get me out of this deal with this with this being." Yeah, I mean instead uh instead we got Sherwood Forest or whatever. <laughs> which was uh which I was shocked to hear was a callback that yeah. O'Brien drops, even though O'Brien was nowhere near that situation. Like, that must have been in Us Magazine again. Right. I read all about it in uh, on, on Starfleet Tumblr. Vash is, like, walking to her big au- auction, and uh, Q is like, Do you remember that tiny little insect bite you had on Erica's Prime? And, uh... He, like, lets her uh, succumb to a bug bite she got one time that he prevented from affecting her. Uh, and, like, she flashes a bunch of time, and she's, like, losing her hair and getting boils all over her skin and going all gray. I don't, I don't feel like they gave Jennifer Hetrick, like, a great uh, sense of what this was supposed to evoke. Or maybe they didn't know what it was supposed to evoke, because she's doing, like, 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 when she goes all, like, old and crone-looking, it's, like, it's insane how big she gets with the with the like wobbling and hooking right. up her hands and stuff. The damage seems to be to her vanity. You're so ugly. You're so ugly. You know, versus versus her her fears of of her mortality here. Yeah. 
like and there's something about her physicality here that that made it seem that way to me did you feel that way the way she played it could have looked good if the camera had been framed a little differently but Mm. one thing i wanted to talk about with this episode is that almost 80 percent of the shots in this episode are like somewhere between a cowboy and a medium single like there are very few shots even that have two people on screen right and and when they do it's because it's just a dirty single of somebody and and they are all like it is relentlessly the same framing every single time and it's like it's so relentless that like cutting between scenes is jumpy a lot of the time right and i feel like like you really leave an actress out in the cold when you just like frame them up like a cowboy shot and say like act old (laughs) (laughs) you know like like it's it's bad like if 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 the camera had been tighter the way she was moving would have been much more jarring and upsetting uh or if it had been wider you know you your imagination would have had to do more of the filling in about like what exactly is going on with her skin and stuff but like it's like the perfect wrong framing for the kind of movement that they went with in the take and i think that it's bad directing what I really could have gone for is sort of like the thriller close-up. Right. Like, show me the nails grow, and then the the ECU of, like, the hair falling out or something. Like, like jump around a little bit. You're, you're totally right up about this. And uh, so this, this scene that should have, like, a, a real impact, like, really be upsetting, it winds up being kind of corny and dumb and making Q look more like a... Uh, an asshole than a, a existential magical threat right so they have this auction and uh the station is getting like worse and worse you know uh, everything is everything's really falling apart and they can't even figure out what is causing the problem they think it's something on board the station but they can't pinpoint it so they're trying all this different shit of like flooding the station with poison gas and using the internal sensors to ill effect uh now, when you're trying to figure out what's wrong with this station, <laughs> the first thing you're going to want to do is flood it with poison gas. <laughs> I like to use a one pot per million mixture. <laughs> Any higher density of the gas and you'll all be dead in three weeks. <laughs> Make sure to plug up any sewer lines before you flood the station with gas. You don't want those gases interacting with sewage backflow. It's so dumb. This is their first idea. It's it's their first idea. It finally works. Like it's it, it is just barely in time. Do they discover that the MacGuffin crystal that Vash brought on board is the source of the graviton problems? They uh, like Cisco slaps a communicator on it and beams it off the station. Uh, Quark has been promised one million bars of gold press latinum by Q for this thing, and. Uh, and is very upset when yeah, he loses control over it, and it you know goes off the off the edge of the station into space and turns into a magical manta ray, which is a real like far pointy feeling idea. It sure is. And uh, it uh, it flies away into the wormhole. It was a space flounder the whole time. <laughs> ben, I want to talk about the auction scene just a little bit. We get a variety of aliens here that uh, I'm not sure we've seen before. Yeah, we get a, a little uh, a little Birdman. Yeah, I like that Birdman. In the back. 
I like we those get, blue uh, blue gauze face guys. Yeah, the embarrassed uh, New York Giants fans <laughs> with uh, with the blue bags over their heads. Really fun uh, variety here. I thought that was cool. I thought this scene would have been ten times better though if Cork had like whipped out some some like Southern auctioneer skills. <laughs> <laughs> I think dentally. Uh, the Ferengi <laughs> makes that a linguistic hurdle that, that he could not get over. Yeah. We get, and and we're like two in a row here, Ben, I feel like, we get another slide whistle ending <laughs> in which uh, it's made clear that Dr. Bashir has slept through the entire emergency in a... Chris Farley in the Hibernal sketch on SNL kind of way. <laughs> you can't buy stronger medication in this country. Like, uh, what's all the commotion about, guys? <laughs> I f- honestly, like, did not even notice that he was not in the episode. <laughs> yeah. That's a big problem, I think. Yeah. Did not miss him. Like he Relieved that he was gone. Yeah. Maybe. I mean the other the other character that's not much in the episode is Odo. And uh I think Odo interacting with Q would be really interesting because Odo has some kind of some kind of supernaturalness about him and is also a character at this point that is shrouded in mystery and Q is all knowing and all powerful. I feel like they are much more interesting two characters to go up against each other. And also like uh, like Q is so silly and Odo is so serious, you know? I completely agree. And who is more of a security threat than Q? Right. Odo should be all over his ass. He should be frantic to figure out something to get rid of him. He should be all over him in a totally different way too. If if Odo's entire entire deal is figuring out if he's alone in the universe, where he came from, et cetera, et cetera. Like, who better to ask about his origins than Q? Like, I would be, I would jump over my table to go talk to Q about where I might have come from if he's a guy who might know. Exactly. But he's totally absent. One other thing that I think is weird about this episode in particular is they've kind of canonized a few things about the Ferengis and one is that the Ferengis are like hopelessly weak on business if there's any sex on the line Mm. and I think that that makes them such less interesting of a force in the galaxy like the second somebody is stroking uh, Quark's earlobes and it happens a couple times in the episode he's just like he's, he's just out to lunch and I think that it'd be so much more interesting if they, you know, like business is this thing that is like almost, uh, almost totally alien to the Federation, but is something that is accommodated and a part of the life of this station. And so like, if he was actually like really talented at business, like that would be, I feel like that'd be more compelling to watch too. I agree. It would make him more of a threat in a in a couple of different ways too. Yeah. In a, in a way that I feel like he should be. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about the scene where he and Riker debate. You know, a bunch of money that he owes Riker, and it's like, you know, like I feel like I feel like the Federation should have a like people that grow up in a moneyless utopia should be worse at dealing with Ferengis. Is it more important to? 
have comedy or to make Ferengi a a viable, serious alien race. I feel like it really is a decision that's that simple, and I feel like uh, the show has made that decision. Yeah. Like in in matters having to do with the Ferengi, we will we will veer toward comedy. Like we just can't abide the idea of of serious Ferengi business or politics. <laughs> I don't know why that is because I think there's room for both. Yeah. Like like Cork is a hilarious and interesting character, but fully developed characters contain multitudes. Yeah. And and the intention of making him more simple in this way, I think just limits the possibilities of what you can do with him. Yeah. Because you know, from now on you could never take him seriously in any business dealing with a woman, like because there will always be that that Achilles ear. <laughs> oh, I'm glad we got to Achilles ear, Adam. Did you like this episode? No, I didn't. But you know what I did like about talking about it is talking about all the ways that it could have been improved. Like, it's one of those eps. Yeah. And I feel like we don't get these very often where we wrote in the margins of this story... And we, we we punched it up quite a bit. Yeah. Like, I think this is so close to being a really good episode with just a little bit of tinkering. It, and uh, it's not the sort of tinkering that re- would require a lot of budget. Like, you could solve a lot of these problems with dialogue. Sure. I think, uh, I think you could solve a lot of the problems with just having more interesting camera framing, even. Yeah, really fairly disappointing. Especially when I feel like if you're a new Star Trek show... You want to fire your cue gun at your show, you know, to to make it count, right? Like mm-hmm. you want you want Q's arrival to your Star Trek show to be like a big thing. And like by the time this episode ended, I was like, what was it for? <laughs> what did we learn? Where did Vash end up? Where did Q end up? They just sort of went their separate ways. Yeah. The the resolution was was fairly unsatisfying. And it wasn't like by the end, Q like raised his fist to the sky and was like, "I will get you, Vash." Like, <laughs> there was not even a threat of of his return ever. It was like, "Well, Cisco, I may see you again. You'll see a white flash when I return, yeah. and uh, be on the lookout for that." Like, it was they couldn't even do the threat of a return in any heavy way. I mean, the existence of the Q character as this as this like impossibly powerful judge of humanity like that's how he was introduced and like this sort of like loses the nerve of him being that which like i don't necessarily mind but it doesn't take him in a more interesting direction in matters having to do with story i am never about the defanging of a character especially a character like you i want more fangs give me all the fangs fang it up you especially and fang it out yeah like make him dangerous. He's totally dangerous, but he's not in this episode. Yeah, like he he's specifically not the thing that is dangerous in this episode. It's bizarre. Well, Adam, do you want to see if we have any priority one messages? That's one thing that's never dangerous. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. By the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first Priority One message is from Patrick. 
It's for the greatest generation. Hey, that's us. Goes like this. Thanks for an amazing run, fellas. That's it. <laughs> Hey, you're welcome, Patrick. Thanks, Patrick. We had a lot of fun doing it. We'll go now. I hope Patrick's still around. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, Man, I really wonder... Like, we don't really have any way of knowing, like, what people we shed because we moved on to Deep Space Nine and what people we added because we moved on to Deep Spi Space Nine. Like... One thing that totally blows me away is that our download numbers have not really dropped on a monthly basis since we went yeah. to one a week. <laughs> like, they dropped, like, a tiny, tiny bit, but not much at all. So, I mean, that makes me think that a lot of people came on board for Deep Space Nine, but I don't know. Or they're still working through the backlog. Yeah. I don't know. It always amazes me when somebody says, All right, I'm all caught up. I found your show six weeks ago <laughs> that is uh 180 episodes yeah in six weeks like that is a rate of podcast consumption that i personally find impossible <laughs> as somebody who is constantly innovating ways to get out of my own head it's amazing that anybody wants to spend that amount of time with me yeah spend that amount of time getting in Jeez. <laughs> Ben, our second priority one message is from the Rasgals. It is for Plavim. Oh, good. It goes like this. Anybody? <laughs> Has anybody heard from Team Plavim? Is it really a team if they don't even buy a P1? <laughs> the dream is empty. Wake up and join the team that hates Plavim. Hashtag Rascals. Man. Trigger, Raz, Brittany, Jason, Josh, Kimberly, Leif, the Gooch, AJ, Amy, CJ, Ella, Eric, James, Jesse, Michael, and Sam. Man. That's the end of the message. It appears as though uh, Rascals, as a roster, has grown. Yeah, that's a longer list than I remember. Unclear if Team Plavim has grown in equal measure. <laughs> I guess we'll never know. We, we're not going to know that until they buy a P1, Ben. Yeah, I guess, uh, guess we'll just have to wait and see, Adam. If you'd like to purchase a Priority One message, you don't have to wait and see. You can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200. They're one of the finest ways to ensure the ongoing production of our program, Ben. Thanks, guys. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Sure did. My drunk Shimoda was a laugh-out-loud moment. It was, uh... It maybe was one of the only interesting camera frame decisions <laughs> of the entire episode. It occurred during the auction. Cork is, uh, is surveying the room for an increase in bidding, mm -hmm. and a six-finger hand shoots up into frame. 600 bars of gold prince lap. <laughs> Fun. Just a uh, a hastily puttied-on sixth finger <laughs> with a new high bid, and uh, a six-finger hand raiser is my drunk Shimoda, Ben. Very nice. Uh, I also laughed out loud at my drunk Shimoda. Also a character with no name or uh, anything we know about them. Uh, so if you uh, scrub your 
player to 28 minutes and 26 seconds. Uh, this is the scene right after Vash leaves the safety deposit box and is on her way to the auction. Q is kind of holding her up in the in the hallway. <laughs> and this extra is walking behind her that is like trying to get past, but he's also just got like the biggest grin on his face. And I kind of interpret this as just like, this guy is so fucking excited to be on Star Trek right now. <laughs> I noticed that guy too right away. He he really stuck out. He really He's like, one of those guys that didn't know how to walk too. <laughs> like like some people walk on camera without being noticed and he seems so self-aware. So self-aware like <laughs> annoyed that he can't get by them like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like he doesn't It's almost know- like his face knows that the shot is blown. <laughs> like like there's no way that they're going to keep this one. <laughs> yeah. Like like the last like the uh, most of the time while he's on screen he is very joyful the last like instant you see him he looks embarrassed and like guilty like he blew the shot <laughs> you know <laughs> i love that guy yeah good guy you might have heard us talk about squarespace before and you're thinking what do i need a website for i already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. 
The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? Next episode is season one, episode seven. Dax, Lieutenant Dax's former self, is accused of murder. What do you think about this episode, Adam? <laughs> We're just playing all the hits in season one, Ben. We got to get a courtroom episode Yeah, uh, out in the first half of <laughs> S1, and, and here we are. Sure. Okay, I'm going to uh, go to the random number generator and find out if we will be doing this episode drunk or not drunk, Adam. I, I forgot about our our Sword of Damocles over every episode now. <laughs> Adam, uh, the number generated is 13, so we are in the clear. Okay. I'm relieved and disappointed. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's sort of the uh that's sort of that's sort of where we uh where we're always going to be when we wind up not doing a drunk one. Relieved and disappointed also uh my resting state mm-hmm. throughout college. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adam, our resting state is uh hanging out online with our legion of viewers who are just a real swell group of people uh, who we feel really lucky to get to interact with on a regular basis. We do it's this, a compulsion, Ben. We do this on Facebook. There's a Greatest Gen Facebook group. There's also a Greatest Discovery Facebook group, and I believe there's now even a Greatest Orville group, which is an unsanctioned Orville podcast that doesn't have a podcast, just a group, I guess. I'm excited for them to actually start a podcast with that name. <laughs> um, they'll be hearing from our lawyers. No. Right. Uh, there's a uh, Greatest Gen subreddit, which is also uh, a tremendous amount of fun, and the Greatest Gen hashtag on Twitter, where Adam is at Cut for Time, and I'm at Benjamin R A H R. Uh, support for the show is appreciated at MaximumFun.org slash donate. Uh, we also have uh, merch items from our years of doing The Greatest Generation available. Ben, it strikes me that we need to come up with a, uh, a Deep Space Nine specific piece of merch, and I wonder what that's going to be. Yeah. I think the next thing that we're going to try and do is an Uxbridge Shimoda t-shirt, which I'm really excited yeah. about because... The uh, great folks at the Hoffler Company designed a logo for Uxbridge Shimoda that is great. Uh, so that'll be a t-shirt uh, once we 
uh, finally get our acts together, and then uh, we got to come up with something good for Deep Space Nine. Who that knows what it'll be? Shows the Xbridge Shimoda logo. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah, that's like uh, that's one that I feel like I should have. Yeah, agreed. Um, well, we should thank Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusea, who is assimilating our theme music. Resistance being very futile. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and another episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that is swapped gavels for balls. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.